1: Good morning and welcome to Our Wild World. Between the economic models for gain and profit, the conflict with economic growth and conservation, lions are helpless against money and influence. From wildlife trafficking and law enforcement to those bred for the bullet, a cycle of cruelty and abuse continues where wildlife is not valued for its role in our living world, but only the dollar value as a living commodity to be traded or sold, or more simply, a value based on death. I welcome back Chris Mercer of the International Campaign Against Canned Hunting to discuss our uh, to discuss further from our past discussion at CITES COP seventeen, um, which was in September twenty sixteen, and that it seems we are seeing a full tilt into that tired old phrase of sustainable consumptive utilization. Welcome, Chris.
2: Thank you very much, Ellie. Uh, Thank you for having me on your show, and thank you for all you do to raise awareness about environmental issues.
1: Well, thank you, and uh, I can't do it without people like you and our colleagues. We were just chatting a little bit ago that, you know, how do we remain hopeful and optimistic when it seems like everything in the natural world is being put up on the chopping block for sale So uh, that sort of leads into um, a big part of our conversation today that conservation itself seems to have been hijacked and that the culprits are both exploitive industries and supine governments, that this banner policy is sustainable use, consumptive utilization. It has all sorts of words. Let's let's talk about that for a little bit and, and see how we as activists and this social media movement can find a banner of our own to help turn this tide.
2: Right. Well, this all goes back to the convention on biodiversity and the policy of sustainable use uh, is part of that convention. So, When that was adopted by, um, as far as I know, most countries around the world, um, a policy which justifies and uh, indeed encourages cruel exploitation became the international policy and signatory countries were obliged to flesh out uh, that uh, clause in the convention uh, into – uh, national legislation, which of course South Africa has done uh, along with others. So, when you come along with the naive um, outlook uh, that we grew up with, that conservation meant the preservation of natural functioning ecosystems, you get laughed at because they say, no, that might have been true uh, 50 years ago. But conservation is now what the Convention on Biodiversity says it is, and that's sustainable use. In other words, cruel exploitation.
1: Okay, let me ask a quick question. What year are we looking at for of the convention? It was held right before CITES in 2016. So did that definition continue to hold as as recent as 2016 for sustainable utilization?
2: Oh, no. Uh, The convention was adopted decades ago. Uh, I don't remember the exact date.
1: Okay. So why hasn't it been updated since it was – the big convention on biodiversity was held right before CITES along with IUCN. How come that wasn't – I mean, let's – how come it hasn't been updated?
2: Quite simply, governments are not sentimental. Um, in fact, the South African Department of Environment will tell you, if you ever try to ask about animal welfare in any sense, they'll tell you animal welfare is not part of our mandate. Our mandate is simply to look at the numbers. If the numbers of the species go up, we're doing our job. If the numbers go down, then we've got to talk about uh, changing the um, category uh, of, um, of that species, um, making it more endangered. That's how it works. It has nothing whatever to do with ethics.
1: That's kind of looking at it It is cherry-picking. If we're going to divide it up into specific species numbers up or down, rather than the whole of the functioning ecosystem – I would think that's part of the mandate not only of the Convention on Biodiversity, but for governments and its people. if governments represent their citizenry and the citizenry doesn't have a place to live because it's running out of wildlife, then what do we don't the people have an avenue to change this or is is that? the crux of our conversation
2: yes exactly Uh, African governments in particular I can't speak for first world governments um, are lamentably lacking in funding wilderness areas because they ruthlessly employ uh, patronage uh, to maintain uh, power in politics And uh, trees and animals don't vote. Right.
1: That's a sad point right there. So it's up to us to do that. And in terms of speaking of the U.S. with our current administration, we're taking huge strides backward. So I can't say the U.S. is any longer a shining star beacon to lead the way on environmental policy with our current president and his, his um, Department of Interior and the board that's laced with the whole hunting community.
2: Yes, I think that you've got to give credit where it's due. I'm quite sure there are many uh, dedicated conservationists in U.S. Fish and Wildlife, and I remember reading the new rule on lions um, and in particular the import of lion trophies and I was very impressed uh, with their uh, scholarly approach to the issue. Uh, We gave input, uh, a lot of people uh, in the animal welfare industry as well as uh, broader conservation bodies gave input And it was very interesting to see how much of that they took on board. I mean, that rule goes on for 230 pages. So they're not shy of hard work and trying to um, get the views of all stakeholders. But I I feel sorry for a dedicated U.S. fish and wildlife conservationist because they just have to look sideways at the hunting industry and they're going to be sued. The hunting industry is obscenely wealthy and obscenely powerful politically. And they can lobby and litigate ferociously. Uh, So I really don't – I really think that when U.S. Fish and Wildlife took the courageous step of banning – well, they didn't actually ban, um, although the result was much like a ban. They raised the bar on the import of lion trophies into uh, the United States. What they said was, up until now we've just accepted the non-detriment findings of African governments, but we have, through experience and through the input that we've been given by people, we've come to realize that those NDF findings are actually not worth the paper they're written on. And so we're going to require proof that the hunters hunt, enhanced conservation of the species before we will allow the trophy to be imported and that of course resulted in a catastrophic decline in the number of American hunters coming to South Africa for canned lion hunts and uh, I've spoken to some of the canned lion um, breeders here and uh, they were uh, very badly affected financially by that uh, uh, policy So give U.S. Fish and Wildlife some credit. Um, I've no doubt now that with Secretary Zinka and other hunting fanatics in charge, things will be even worse for dedicated conservationists in that service.
1: I I tend to agree. So, you know, U.S. Fish and Wildlife has a hard job in front of it. And as we both know, there are a lot of dedicated people in there and they've been on this program and we're talking – we're talking with them and from CITES about this very topic. So you bring up an interesting catch-22. When U.S. Fish and Wildlife upped the, raised the bar that the hunting of lions had to have a conservation value and it that kind of took it away from canned lions and then Safari Club International and all of those and FAZA, the Professional Hunting Association, and the Professional Hunters Association in South Africa also came out against canned hunting that the the lion ranchers and the lion breeders and the lion farmers took a hit. So now they're left with a lot of lions that are very expensive to keep to trophy age and they're not being hunted. So what we're seeing now, what's been in the news, is a lot of these lions are simply just being killed, shot, in huge numbers, and shifted right into the bone trade. So we're still stuck with these canned lions, and and so that's, that's one point. And the second point is if, and people ask me all, this all the time, and it's a hard one to ask... If we don't have canned lions bred for the bullet and for this sport trophy hunting uh, group of people, does that put more pressure on wild lions?
2: All right. Well, let me answer the last point first. The hunting of wild lions in South Africa is tightly controlled because there are no wild lions properly so called the lions that they call wild are actually what they call actively managed and they are in the game reserves but they're not um, captive or um, they're not captain in so they they live wild lives in large game reserves like Kruger park or kalahari um, and and other provincial parks like Pilansburg, but the scientific scientists in charge of those parks will look at the pride and look at the available prey base, and make a decision every year on how many, if any, of those lions should be removed and therefore hunted. Um, and so. Whether you've got one thousand or a hundred thousand tame, captive, bred lions, it doesn't have the slightest impact on the wild lions, because, as I, as I've explained, the hunting of a wild lion here is a scientific decision by the parks management.
1: Okay. So.
2: Um, you want me to go back and deal with the first part of yes, your yes, please uh, 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 of your question. Um. All right, so what happened after the – let's call it a ban, although it wasn't a ban. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Ban uh, came into effect. Um, Just talking to lion breeders um, that I meet at workshops and that sort of thing, what they did was they dropped the price in order to encourage local uh, people to hunt the lions. But also they – Continued to make a lot of money from the spin offs. Now, unlike other forms of livestock breeding, and in South Africa, lions are bred as alternative livestock in the same way that you raise sheep and cattle for slaughter, um, but the lions um, themselves. Um, can make a lot of money for the breeder in different spin-offs now the spin-off starts when the lion is born and it's a cute and cuddly cub immediately it uh, it can make money as a um, an object to be petted by tourists and cub petting is an enormous industry uh, bringing in millions for the lion breeders in South Africa And there is such an insatiable demand from foreigners, particularly foreign tourists, to be able to have a selfie taken with them cuddling a lion cub that the lion farmers find themselves leasing out. They actually rent out their cubs to um, tourist facilities um, so that they can uh, offer cub petting uh, to tourists. So that's a huge money spinner.
1: So then we, when they get a
2: little bit too big for that, sorry, do you want me to carry on the um, life cycle? Well,
1: we've talked about this before, so what I would urge is our listeners to go back and listen to previous episodes with Chris, Bread for the Bullet and Cop Out and um, uh, a couple of the other episodes, the titles, Escape Me at the Moment. But we covered a lot of this before, so my question right. is, since the USFW ban and you know the hunting of canned lions has gone down. Has there been an in- what I'm hearing you say is there has been an increase in these spin off industries until the lions are of age to be killed to go into the bone trade.
2: No, I don't think there's been an increase other than the uh, natural increase uh, by breeding lions in captivity. Uh, Unfortunately for them, lions are very fertile and they breed very easily in captivity. So when I started 20 years ago, there were maybe 1,500 lions in captivity. I've been campaigning for, what, 20 years now and there are another, they're now, on best estimate, nobody knows the exact amount, uh, about 8,000 lions in captivity breeding um, for for profit. Um, and if they can't sell the carcasses uh, or the uh, trophy animals to American hunters, which they can now, of course, thanks to your secretary, Zinka, uh, then they would simply, being resourceful people, find other ways to make money. So let's go and deal with the lion, the lion bone trade. Now, about five years ago when this started, I mean, before then, no one had even heard of the lion bone trade. But the Asian wildlife traffickers who were already involved in trading uh, rhino horn um, started to take in lion bone trophies, uh, lion bone skeletons. Uh, which they then foisted onto the Asian market uh, as uh, tiger bones for the um, (coughs) the production of tiger bone wine for the Chinese market and tiger bone cake for the Vietnamese market. Um, So those are profitable. But remember that in terms of CITES, uh, COP17, um, South Africa was required – as part of the um, consent um, at, at the Conference of Parties for South Africa to continue uh, to sell lion carcasses uh, to Asia, South Africa was, decide- was required to do a scientific assessment uh, of the effect of that upon the survival of the species. Well, I can tell you that that is... Totally outside the capacity uh, and, and the intellectual comp- competence of South African conservation authorities. So what they did was, they just went to the breeders and they said, "Right, how many lions did you export last year?" And it was almost a questionnaire. And they then come up came up with the figure of eight hundred. The industry said to them, "Well, we export about eight hundred lion." skeletons a year. So back the Department of Environment went to CITES saying okay we've done our scientific assessment and we're going to allow 800 lion skeletons a year. There was then uproar here in this country um, for the obvious lack of scientific input and the actual absence of any kind of stakeholder input or public participation. So, the minister had to backtrack and say, oh, sorry, okay, we'll have um, – uh, under the threat of litigation, she said, oh, okay, we'll, we'll have a public participation pro- process. So, they delayed everything for a couple of months to give people an opportunity to give input. And then they came back again and said, okay, we've looked at the input and we're going to allow 800 lion trophy, lion carcasses to be exported. So you can see how the thing works. Basically, in South Africa, the Department of Environment has allowed itself to become just an arm of the hunting industry.
1: This is really unfortunate. I mean, everything you just said um, is in opposition or polar extreme to what we've been talking about, wild lion conservation, because there are wild lions that are not managed elsewhere in Africa versus how they're managed in South Africa. South Africa is like this little, not little, its own separate, I I don't even know what to call it when it comes to managing wildlife because none of it's really... Uh, what I consider able to roam, it's it's counted, it's numbered, and it's a commodity. And there's enough to kill, or there's we don't kill these, and then it's traded off to other places. So it's it's kind of like a a, a chess game, or just moving animals around, and kind of hard to keep track of who's gone where, when, and how many there really are. So this brings me to a point. Well, while we're here, um, you'd sent me, and I've received a notice about a new book coming out: "Cuddle Me, Kill Me" by Richard Pierce. Um, how do you? Th- how how is that book highlighting more what's going on between your eye Catch your organization and let's say what Blood Lions did a few years ago? That we need a book now to highlight even more what is going on in this lion farming, ranching industry.
2: Uh, Well, Richard Pierce is a successful wildlife documentary author. Uh, He's written a number of books um, about rhino perching, about elephant and ivory perching, um, and... uh, his, he's been involved with the shark conservation for many years uh, and, and is still, so he has uh, impeccable credentials. Now, uh, what I like about him and his book is that he did his homework. He and his wife spent a couple of years going around from place to place, one lion farmer to another, one lion breeder to another, one canned lion hunting operator to another. And he really got to know how the industry worked. He didn't just go to the Department of Environment and get the official fob off. He really did his homework. And that's in. That's what you can enjoy in the book. He really knows what he's talking about. All right. And it's a, sm- it's a short book. Um, there are more... Uh, it's one of those books that you buy at the airport, you know, to take on the plane with you because it, it's quite a, a short book and it has a lot of uh, pictures in it. Um, so the text is not overwhelming. But at the end of the day, he really does expose this. And he says in his preface, he says, our purpose was to approach this issue with an open mind. We wanted to know if the fuss made by bloodlines and campaign against canned hunting and all the other people uh, was just sentimental hype um, or whether there was a conservation uh, or animal welfare benefit. And he said in his preface, he says, it didn't take us long before we found out what an awful industry it was and our open minds slammed shut.
1: Well, I'm going to try and get a hold of Richard Pierce, and I think he'd be a great guest. And uh, it's great to hear that we've got a nice little factual, short, dense read that people can turn to to understand what we're talking about here today, that this industry has no conservation value, has no benefit, that it's strictly geared toward profit so um, at this point we've got to step away and take a break so stick with us folks because we're going to come back and uh, dig a little more into the whole concept of the politics and policy behind sustainable consumptive utilization so we'll be right back.
0: become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america wildlife no wild no life big scary beautiful predators are in danger without them our rivers dry up our forests don't grow our communities go hungry our biodiversity crumbles Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G.
1: And welcome back. This is Ellie. You're listening to Our Wild World and my guest Chris Mercer of the International Campaign Against Canned Hunting. You can uh, listen to Chris and get some background here on previous episodes with Chris and also other episodes we've done on this program with other people, experts, and opinion on the canned hunting industry from 2015 to 2016. And here we are in 2018 still talking about it. So, Chris, you and I were talking before we started that, you know, how do we maintain hope you know what what has happened we we've been working on this you've been doing it for 20 years i've been trying to educate people and raise awareness for 30 40 years so how do we get these activists and let's say the social media from tweeting and facebook posting from i love animals and oh how sad and tragic to get that voice into political clout
2: well let's start with the obscene wealth in vested interests because anyone who wants to change anything that affects vested interests is going to find himself being attacked in return um the hunting industry will defend its right to hunt ferociously with lobbying and litigation, so that 's what you 're up against um, people people who can throw millions around without even thinking about it we ordinary members of the public we don 't have that sort of money, um, but what we do have is the internet um, and nothing that we've achieved could have been achieved without the internet to my mind the ability to mobilize millions at the touch of a computer button is a democratic power utterly unprecedented in human history and we use it as best we can so but
1: how, how do we
2: clicktivism by itself is not enough
1: right so how do we turn The clicktivism from online shopping and more consumptive stuff that is putting over demands on the natural world's resources into these millions of people across the internet into giving one, two, three, five dollars, which adds up to the millions to be able to, you know, combat and take on these vested wealthy interests because there there's let's say 5 billion four or 5 billion of us that can do something to outnumber the one or two million that are keeping this argument in this industry alive how do we engage them
2: well, Together. first of all, I don't think that there are 5 million or 5 billion animal welfareists. There are 4.9 billion um, apathetic humans who are busy keeping their own boats afloat, and you can't blame them. Um, and I think the animal welfare community is actually quite a small um, part of society, and especially the active people. Um And so there's a weakness immediately. Um, How do you raise awareness without offending people who aren't dedicated? If I were to show pictures on a television program uh, of the sort of cruelty that's meted out to lions in a canned hunt, people would just switch channels. So instead of, you you know, perhaps one out of a hundred might decide to – try and do something about it, but most people would just switch channels. So, so that's an immediate problem. Okay. And we don't have the concentrated wealth okay. that the vested interests have.
1: So what we need is to find a different way rather than using the vitriol, the haters, the hate speech and using the same argument of kill the hunters kill the poachers cuz that's not getting us anywhere and people don't want to see the violence per se although they love watching uh violent programming so this millennial group we've got to tag and then the younger group that that are coming up the you know 6 to 13 year olds they're our future they're going to be our lawmakers Uh, in the near future but in the in the closer future is this millennial group and a lot of them are saying we don't even have a future so why bother how do we engage them without turning them off that there is a steep hill to climb and we need them to help both bolster us how do we do that
2: well we need two things we need money Lots of it. Uh, we need philanthropists with billions to pour into this, and we need education. We need to be able to educate activists to be able to function at a at a policy level, because that's what the hunting industry and other vested interests do. They don't waste their time tweeting and uh, Facebook. Uh, posting, they go straight to the decision makers. And whether they're holding conferences in Europe where all the um, rangeland state uh, ministers of environment have been flown first class um, and or whether they're getting set- Secretary Zinka to set up an advisory council which is packed with hunters, however they do it, They look after their interests with wealth at a policy level. And we're just not represented at that level at all. Now, Richard Pierce is strong on this because when he started uh, campaigning for sharks, he ran into the same problem. And what what he did was to set up a training facility to train advocates. Because animal advocacy is... A bit like um, any other legal service. Imagine, Ellie, if you were involved in some kind of litigation and a friend of yours came up and said, Ellie, I love you. You're a wonderful person. I would love to help you. I'm going to come and represent you. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know any law. I don't know the facts of your case, but my heart's in the right place. And I and I'm going to help you. You would say thanks very much, but actually you're you're more of a hindrance. You'll be more of a hindrance than a help. <laughs> and I think the animals would say the same thing about many activists. Don't I hate to say it, but you know
1: you're you're absolutely. It's it's hard. It's it's painful to say, but you're absolutely right. We get a lot of animal lovers that want to help, and it's my mind is immediately it's like well unless you have this skill that skill and can represent on the same scale to fight this fight then um there's not much we can do for you cuz we're 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 on the top shelf of the library on the top floor of a skyscraper at this level we need voices so what you're saying is, let's say all this millennial group that did go to law school, that did you know, do the corporate and is, ha- has this um, background and this skill set, how do we reach them to turn those skills into fighting for the world they're going to be taking part in very soon?
2: <coughs> yeah, we do need a college uh, of animal advocacy. Now, for example, in South Africa, they have a wildlife college that trains the game rangers. And as you would expect from a college which is funded by the hunting industry, they are taught sustainable use. They're told, forget about conservation in the old-fashioned sense. What you are going to be um, administering is Conservation in the new sense, which is sustainable use. In other words, you just look at the numbers. So long as the numbers go up, you're doing your job. Never mind about the condition of the animals. Animal welfare is not not part of your mandate. So you've got every year, you've got all these rangers coming out of the wildlife college thinking that hunting is conservation because that's what they've been taught. Now, we can't counter that unless we have the money to set up a comparable education system and turn out game rangers who are critical of the current um, dispensation and, and who are ready um, and, and armed with, with arguments and, and knowledge to change the system.
1: So to fight it in the courts, this is a battle that needs to go to the courts and the policy level.
2: Uh, I would say policy level more than the courts, because you've got to change the laws before you can use the courts.
1: Okay. So which college is this that you're um, talking about? Uh,
2: The Wildlife College or College of Wildlife in South Africa.
1: Okay. Because I'm aware of another one, Ashwell Glasson, with the Southern African Wildlife College and the Southern African... Wildlife College Trust, that's a two-year program that trains up um, students from all over Africa to be much more skilled in people skills and policy and conservation as you and I think about it, that without an earth to sustain us, rather than numbers, a numbers game of species by paint by numbers, that in in their future, soon-to-be future, they're going to work themselves out of a job if they just go by, you know, the hunting argument.
2: Yes, you see, we get many people offering to help us um, and we really um, appreciate that. I mean, our heart goes out to the people who feel so strongly about it that they want to actually um, put time and effort and what little money they have into it. But we... We can't use them in animal advocacy until they've virtually got a degree in animal advocacy. And that only comes with experience. Um, They they need to know the pro-hunting arguments. They need to know the counter arguments. They need to know the rebuttal arguments. They need to know... They need to it, it. they need to know the politics, the geopolitics, the socio-economic um, per, um, issues around hunting. It's a hideously complex issue.
1: So, th- what we can do then is, and, and you've created two great points here: is a how do we fund and organize professional training for animal advocacy? And the answer is colleges and we've already got colleges all over the world so we need to get curriculum on this and then the other is commissioning academic studies that show the fallacy of hunting as a beneficial land use for for all but the elite and we need to find you know the community participants people who live with wildlife to be educated and transfer this knowledge that the wildlife they live with is their future. Yes. Uh,
2: Let's take one point. Um, Let's take the argument that the hunters always say that they give employment. Well, um, do they give employment? Um, I'd like to be able to afford to uh, employ agricultural economists to do a thorough research program to find out whether the farmer who gives up farming with um, sheep and cattle and crops, lays off 50 people um, makes them redundant, uh, contracts around breeding lions for hunting makes 10 times as much money, much of it in foreign currency which gives other opportunities in other words, does hunting give jobs or does it take jobs away? Is hunting a beneficial land use or on closer analysis, is it a wasteful use of land? These are issues that have to be properly researched and you need money uh, to be able to do that. And then you need um, advocates to be able to use that information effectively in, at, at the policy level.
1: So in other words, we have this pot of money running around uh, what we call an economic gross domestic product that is based on consumptive models so we need to somehow shift this same pot of money into advocacy for non-consumptive models and have that trickle down and trickle up through the average population not just the Uh, political lobby?
2: I don't think that the hunting industry pays any attention to the general public. Um, I think they know that if they employ the smartest public relations brains in the world, which they do, they can muddy the waters enough so that ordinary people will say, oh, the hunters say this and Mercer says that, Um, I don't know who's telling the truth, and they switch channels. That's all they need to do. It's like the tobacco industry or big pharma. They just need to muddy the waters. They don't have to persuade anyone.
1: This is kind of sad because we have billions of people that are bored silly, you know, playing with devices. They're only window into the natural world is through a virtual window on a device and nature tv programming programming that shows a natural world that's really no longer there or if you swung the camera to the left or the right then you would see the crowd of people sitting around watching and taking pictures and posting to facebook so once again it comes we've come full circle we have to find ways to engage this large, global, social media group of people to go from posting non-event posts. I'm sad. That's tragic. I don't want to look at that picture. And um, documentaries that are hard-hitting like Blood Lions or Ivory Game or Poacher's Pipeline that people can choose to switch off to a message that gives them the facts they don't have to be faced necessarily with the visual ugly truth but to be given the facts so all our facebook users out there that are passionate about wildlife and a continuing functioning ecosystem called earth we need you and your voices to take that passion and really turn it to action and you can contact Chris, you can contact any number of well-known uh, advocates and people like Chris that have been doing this for 20 years and or 30 years. We have all the information you need. What we need is for, to transfer it to your young minds and pick up the torch, right? Yes, uh, it's
2: always useful uh, to use the Internet um, to raise awareness. But I hope that I've made the point that clicktivism by itself is not enough uh, because the hunting industry doesn't waste its time going after the general public. It goes straight for the decision makers and the policy makers. And it works at that level, knowing that the apathetic masses are substantially irrelevant.
1: So we have to be make ourselves relevant.
2: Yes, but in order to do so, we come back to the point I made earlier <laughs> that you have to virtually get a degree in the issue in order to be effective. <laughs> but that, but that's
1: doable. I mean, it is. You you did it. I've done it. So the 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 hiccup here is in this attention span of a group of a powerful um, demographic of people worldwide we have to find a way to grab their attention and and put this mountain in front of them and help teach them how to climb it quickly to get to the top which is this um voiceless huge demographic to have a voice that is not that is um, able to counter this hunting contingent, make them pay attention. Again, Ellie,
2: I don't think you'll ever achieve that. I think that most people are not activists by nature, and I think that activists tend to be a small section of society. But if they are well-funded... And well trained, then they can be just as effective as the
1: uh, vested interests. Well, folks, you just heard it. You know, we need we need well trained, well document. We have the documentation. We need people to to pick this up because without it, you don't have a planet to live on. I personally don't want to go live on Mars. I love going out into the Red Dawn and hearing a lion roar and seeing, you know, a 100 million uh, wildebeest and zebras going across the plains. Africa is a huge continent. Wildlife, iconic wildlife, elephant, rhino, lions, everything, down to the impala, down to the insects, is all still there. So what I've been saying lately is we do have the time, but we're running out of wildlife. So if we want to live on this earth, and as Chris and I have been saying, to, to, re, to maintain our optimism in what feels right now like a rather depressing picture, there is a huge social media internet tool at our fingertips to do more than just clicktivism. What do you say?
2: Yes, I think you've more or less uh, summed it up, um, Ellie, I don't think I can add anything to that.
1: So, is there anything you would like to add? We've got maybe five minutes here. Anything else on your mind today?
2: I I'll think coming ahead. back to the book cuddle. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say coming back to the book cuddle me, kill me. That would be a good start for anyone wanting to get involved in um, activism on behalf of the lions. Go and read that book. It, it, it will tell you the story as, as it is. It, it's, it's factual. You, you will be properly educated. Uh, you will learn the hunting arguments and the, and the arguments against hunting. Um, and all done in an interesting way. Um, not, uh, it's not hammered into you, but it's there if you want to see it. Then you can go to our website and in particular the blog, the blog posts that go back for years. And you read through those. I mean, there's probably a thousand pages or more, maybe two thousand. I don't know. But there's a mine of information there. And you can empower yourself to be able to sit down in a radio debate with a knowledgeable person on uh, the side of the hunting industry and hold your own. Uh, Because the hunting arguments are flawed, but you need to do your homework before you can um, uh, attack them convincingly.
1: Right. And the hunting arguments are very circular. Um, They keep coming back to their own facts rather than open up to... Um, the, the facts that you can present. So there are cracks and there are crevices, as Chris just said. There are flaws in that argument, but you need somebody to pay attention those tiny details to be able to wedge them open. So, once again, um, visit www.cannedlion.org and their Facebook page. That's International Campaign for, Against Canned Hunting. And visit Blood Lions and pick up the book, Cuddle Me, Kill Me, and educate yourself on this issue because we need your voices. So, Chris, once again, it's been fabulous conversing with you
2: and a pleasure talking to you Ellie
1: so hopefully one day we'll be able to have a conversation and say hey look I woke up this morning and the world changed so um, we'll continue to talk and we'll continue to wait for this uh, well hopefully not just wait engage this demographic of young people to become impassioned to become advocates and put their skills to work for our wild world because without those skills and without my listeners and all the people that are visiting your website and reading books and want to do something this is the place to start so uh, thanks Chris so much for your time and uh, we'll talk again soon Thanks, Ellie. Always a pleasure talking to you. All right. You take care. And meantime, folks, go step out into Our Wild World.
0: Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time, for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now.